to me, the only time you truly measure your ability to listen and invoke the, you know, the opinions and thoughts of others is if you're actually prepared, not just to listen, but to make the changes in your approach uh, and your action based on that. Not to say every time you're going to do that, obviously. Um, so it's not just the listening. It's not just checking a box to say, great, we've gone around the table and I hope you guys feel really good. Now we're going to go ahead and do uh, you know, what I said. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, and welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. I hope it's been an inspiring start to the year and that your communication is helping to motivate and lead in whatever personal and professional arenas you find yourself in. Today, the arena we find ourselves in for my interview is the Ivory Tower. And to be more specific, the Sother School of Business. If you don't know Sother, it's based in Vancouver. And year after year, it's been ranked by Financial Times, among others, as one of the world leaders in professional development. It's also been a long-standing partner of the Humphrey Group. We've been deeply privileged for the last decade to provide our programs in conjunction with Sother through open enrollment and in partnership with its uh, talented faculty to a whole host of organizations in the province of British Columbia. And the leader of the Exec Ed group is Bruce Wiesner. He's the Associate Dean of Exec Ed. And uh, I've known Bruce for many years. I have a huge respect for him. He uh, blends a deep understanding of leadership development with private sector expertise. Uh, he worked in Quebecor World, which is a, a media business, and uh, has been steering the ship at Sother for some time. And I had Bruce on because, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, leadership is changing. How people must develop leadership skills is changing. How people learn is changing. In fact, this podcast exists as a reflection of that. And Sother is uh, at the forefront of much of this change and is thinking proactively about how to prepare people to lead in this evolving world. So I had Bruce on to talk about what inspiration will look like and how they are changing education uh, for executives to prepare them. So enjoy the conversation. So it's great to have Bruce Wiesner on the Inspire podcast today. And Bruce, uh, we've known each other for what, five or five or six years now? I, it seems like it's longer, but yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Bruce uh, has built the UBC Sire School of Business Exec Ed program into a world-renowned program. I believe your exec ed is top 50 in the world, uh, which is impressive uh, when you consider the many hundreds of providers there are. And you're certainly recognized across Canada as uh, one of the top business schools in the country. So let me ask you, how is learning changing? Well, I think the social aspects of learning are changing dramatically. I think the fact that the way younger people are socializing um, arguably is quite different uh, than it was uh, certainly in my generation and arguably just even a few years ago. I think that's having a profound impact 
on uh, on learning. So technology is 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 a huge disruptor, um, but uh, technology goes deeper in that uh, the technology that's available now in in professional development and learning uh, is fitting with the way that many young people socialize and interact, and so it's enabling uh, learners uh, to do things online and remotely in a way that was uh, previously unheard of. And it's really challenging a lot of conventional institutions in terms of how they have traditionally had perhaps an instructor or a lecturer or a teacher in front of a room of people. Um, and I think it's, it's a profound change because many of the benefits, certainly in professional development and, and all learning, uh, come from the learning that occurs within the classroom and within the network of learners who are participating in a program or an event. And the way that those people are interacting is just fundamentally changing. Is leadership changing as well as people learn about leadership? Well, I think I probably am in a situation that's similar to many these days in that many of my uh, team and my leadership team, my team more broadly, the people that, that I trust interact with clients and, uh, and implement strategies, and uh, they're younger themselves. And they were represented more by um, millennials and, uh, and now even Gen Zers. And um, they, I think, uh, fundamentally need to be reached in a way that, that arguably is different, certainly um, from when I was first in the workforce. Um, uh, and it's, it's pretty profound. And you and I were on a conference uh, last fall, and I remember the presentation we had from a young lady who was uh, talking to us uh, as leadership professionals in the room. There was 85 of us from around the world. That, um, boy, if you thought that, that the millennials were bringing a lot of changes in terms of leadership dynamics, um, you know, look at the, the Gen Zers. And she used the example of a F2F or face-to-face -face meeting. And after about a couple of minutes, I realized that for her, that just meant you could see the other person's face, whether right. that was on your iPhone or your tablet. Um, it's a great example of, you know, um, the fundamental definition of face-to-face -face meeting for, for me for, for, you know, better part of two decades was being in front of a, a client or a, a partner. And, uh, you know, that's changing. So um, our paradigms are, are being challenged constantly in terms of the, the nature of learning. And uh, one, one term we use a lot in the, in the university world is the flipped classroom. Uh, the learners are really driving um, the nature of learning in a way that uh, I think is, has never been seen before. Yeah, so the days of people showing up, sitting through a two-day lecture, <laughs> and maybe doing a few cases is, are dead, it sounds like. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think, um, again, I mean... Institutions uh, have survived for, for many years on, on a value proposition that doesn't go away overnight. But by the same token, the days of, say, having an institution of knowledge, uh, where if you're lucky enough, we will impart that knowledge upon you uh, in, in a format similar to how Aristotle conducted his, <laughs> uh, his lectures. Uh, I think, you know, that is absolutely going, um, if it hasn't already, uh, you know, going away um, and fundamentally changing. Um, for sure. Uh, so what's, so it, what's the future for Sother? Yeah, no, well, the future is here eh, in terms of action learning, micro learning, um, online and blended learning. Uh, I was at a client the other day. It's a great example. And we were chatting about the, the breadth and scopes of, of programs that we do and, 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 and professional development more broadly. And, and I got caught in my own paradigms. I started to talk about short programs and long, pro, long programs. And she stopped me. And she was not a, a learning design professional or, or even a VP of HR. She was a financial executive who was overseeing the potential for a, for a program for her financial services company. And she said to me, oh, hang on a minute, well, what's a, what is a short program for you guys? And I said, well, typically two to three days. And she said, oh, no, that's way too long. <laughs> she said, many of our learners are younger 
and their attention spans are very short, maybe three or four hours wow. on, a, on a weeknight on concurrent weeks. But that is the most that you could command of their attention in an effective way. And I thought that was a great example uh, of how the market is pushing back and defining um, you know, the type of learning um, that, they, that they need. And I think that has a profound impact then on leadership because we're trying to impart the skills and abilities um, that support and develop great leaders. Um, but the way that we've been doing that for decades is, is being flipped on its ear. Yeah, I love that term of flip the, the classroom, this idea that the learners are driving this now and that you're responding as, you know, I think the most progressive organizations that are in the exec ed or professional uh, development business are. So you have this this new, as you say, this new paradigm, this new way that you're going to deliver learning that both reflects how people learn and what they need to learn now. So did you, when you created this vision, did you face resistance either from faculty, from administration, or even in the marketplace to beginning this evolution? Well, I wouldn't say resistance. Uh, in fact, I think I'm, I'm actually very lucky in that um, being part of a research institution has proven to be absolutely core to our value proposition as it is today and as we continue to evolve it and, and, and grow it and, and, and innovate it. What I mean by that is um, we have found that our research faculty have an approach to business thinking and to leadership uh, development that is very forward-looking. It's very much in terms of asking what the future holds. Uh, it's, it's based on the, the core of, a, of an evidence-based research mentality that, sh- that is very curious and seeks to understand where business is going. And when I bring those faculty um, face-to-face with clients very early in the process, um, there seems to be tremendous uh, value in that and, ver- and tremendous satisfaction. And it's, it seems to differentiate us uh, quite significantly from many of our competitors who look at these individuals as scarce resources in a teaching capacity who many times don't show up until the program, if I can call it that, begins. That's very, very different than going in to see a client who understands that they have many business challenges and need help unpacking that and getting behind that and trying to figure out what the underlying leadership and professional development issues are. So we bring our faculty in and they bring that, that research mentality mm-hmm. into that conversation. And But before a program opens or the first module is even delivered, much of the value has been derived from the actual process of understanding what's behind those, those business challenges. And that's what the clients are telling me directly. They're telling me that, look, when you help me look up over that crest of the, the crest of that hill uh, by bringing uh, these researchers in whose thought process is already active, who've already been doing their research, then in real time, my solutions are unfolding. And they've, they've countered that with, with firms who are, who are asking them to give them a bit of time because they've got to go away and seek answers. And, and they see us as, as more of a, of a, of a consultative real-time solution. We're still a learning provider, our ultimate... Um, value is in providing the learning that moves an organization to a different level. So we're not trying to attach ourselves necessarily permanently to the organization's payroll, so to speak. Uh, we're still a learning um, solution, but we're cons- uh, consultative in our in our approach. So l- listening to you talk, Bruce, it's, it's interesting. I think back to the interview I had with Robin Sylvester, who you know as well, the CEO of 
the, the port, Vancouver Fraser Port Authority, talking about vision, right, and how you bring people to a table to create a vision and how you communicate it. I want to ask you a bit about that from your own lens. I mean, you've, you've really set the stage for this new vision for UBC Sothers uh, School of Business Exec Ed. You've talked about bringing faculty in. So looking to yourself, and for anyone listening on the call who might be wondering, how do I lead change? Talk to me a bit about some of the communication skills that you personally are finding yourself putting to use on a daily basis as you carry this new vision forward internally and externally. Well, that's been a, a you know, I think a pretty profound um, challenge uh, for me in the last, uh, well, certainly in the last you know half dozen, ten years. Um, you know, I graduated from business school in the '80s. Um, so, you know, what led to my, uh, well, arguably led to my success as a leader, eighties and nineties, uh, certainly isn't going to, to work now. And I've had to really actively think about that. And I've had to get, I've had to get help. I've had to drink, uh, my own cure, so to speak, hmm. meaning that I've brought consultants and other uh, individuals in, uh, to help me in terms of how we lead and manage and build our team. And, um, they've had some pretty stiff feedback for me uh, in terms of the changes that need what to be made. I'll give you me some examples. Yeah, please. I think one of the fundamental ones is, you know, I grew up in a generation where leaders were expected to have all the answers. Leaders were expected to be strong, um, uh, to be decisive, uh, to carry people forward on the, you know, the wave of their, of their own spectacular ability to, uh, to lead. And it just, and it sounds incredibly basic, but the need now to listen uh, as opposed to talk is massive. Uh, and for those of us who, who grew up in, in a previous generation where there was so much pressure, uh, you know, and the opposite, um, I think that's, that's a huge, huge challenge. And, and to this day, I'm constantly reminding myself that I need to listen. I need, need to be consultative. I need to let the people closest to the client have a voice. And they don't expect me um, to be a perfect leader. They don't expect me to be, uh, you know, leading this, this cavalry charge. They just want a real leader and one that's going to listen to them and one that's going to uh, involve them in, in decisions. Uh, and I'll be honest, that's been, that's been a change for me. Yeah. Can you give me an example of a, a story where recently you maybe were headed down that path of, of talking rather than listening and then we're able to adjust in the moment and result in a positive outcome? Yeah, I can probably think of probably six just in the last <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, I'll give you an example in terms of um, an international market. And, you know, here all my years uh, in business, uh, the last eight and a half years running exec head here at Sauter, and I think I'm, you know, pretty, um, pretty savvy when it comes to what markets we should be pursuing and why and where the ROI is. And um, we had a, a, an offsite management brainstorming session about where the growth was going to come from. And the team, the management team, was not uh, enthralled with one of the international markets that I felt was a real opportunity. And um, ultimately, what I had to do is I had to acquiesce to, to their belief. And I think that's the biggest test of, of the type of leadership style I'm talking about. To me, the only time you truly measure your ability to listen and invoke the, you know, the opinions and thoughts of others is if you're actually prepared, not just to listen, but to make the changes in your approach uh, and your action based on that. Not to say every time you're going to do that, obviously, um, but that was an example where I had to acquiesce to, uh, to a group that was actually probably closer to the, the opportunity. Um, so it's not just the listening. 
It's not just checking a box to say, great, we've gone around the table and I hope you guys feel really good. Now we're going to go ahead and do, uh, you know, what I said. Um, and so I've, uh, I've found uh, increasingly that when I'm prepared uh, to stray from my own personal uh, preferred course of action, as long as it's been through the right process, uh, we've achieved more success than ever. And I think that really does reflect the evolving um, expectations of leaders. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, I've been in the business for 17 years and, and that confident archetypical, you know, archetypal leader who has all the answers is and delivers them from a pulpit with extreme conviction is, is really now viewed in some ways as inauthentic, you know, that we're looking for more vulnerability and openness. So it's great to hear your, your evolution of it. Well, like I said, I've gotten I've gotten help in that regard. I've I've mm-hmm. worked with the consultants that actually teach in our programs, uh, and had them have them come in and work with us in small groups and as a leadership team. It doesn't come naturally. It's hard work. Uh, it's a muscle that has to be built. And uh, I think uh, you know, for us to hold our head high, we have to be using some of the same support in terms of developing our own leadership styles and organization that that we're you know we're asking other organizations to believe in. Yeah, and and it's another area I'd like to get your opinion on. You know, you you work in an, in a business minded part of an academic institution, but you do work in an academic institution. And you know, I think it, you know my dad was a prof for forty years. I think he once said Kissinger uh, stated that in academia the battles are so fierce because the stakes are so low. <laughs> you know that everyone's got tenure, no one can get fired. No one really has power over anyone else, and so it can be very difficult to get movement. And you know that that's academia, but you know many people work in unionized environments. They work in partnerships where you know influence. In other words, uh, environments where influence through non-authoritative non-authoritative means are, is fundamental to success. So I'd like your your perspective as someone who has been successful in influencing a group that really doesn't have to listen to you. How do you go about doing that successfully? Uh, well, it's, it's, yeah, listen, it's a great question. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, back in 2010, um, one of the things I did is I brought a, a mentor on board for me that was more, um, much more uh, experienced in, in the uh, dynamic you describe. He, he had paraphrased Kissinger somewhat by saying, you know, nowhere are the politics greater with less at stake than a big university. He was a former dean of the Rotman School of Management, a gentleman named Hugh Arnold. And um, we asked ourselves that very question, is that we felt, for example, that faculty engagement was nowhere where it needed to be. That's a term we use to, be, to, to talk about whether we as an organization on the operational side and the business side are we leveraging the institutional assets, the faculty, the core asset for the customer? Um, and so Hugh had suggested, well, why don't we you know, invoke a, a bit of this listening proposition by actually going and doing a piece of research and asking the faculty what matters to them, uh, how they would respond to the right engagement strategy, what would get them excited about working with clients in an exec ed capacity. So there's about 100 faculty at Sauter at the time. We did an anonymous survey and uh, with uh, Hugh's help and the, um, uh, my colleague in the dean's office at the time, Darren Dow, who's now our senior associate dean for faculty, uh, they literally went door to door and asked for the faculty's help. We got 65 of the 100 faculty to respond That's great. anonymously to this survey, which we thought was a staggeringly high number. What and, did they say? You know, it wasn't 
overly complicated, but it was profound, and, and it, was, it was pretty straightforward. One is that m uh, financial remuneration was important, but it wasn't the be-all and end-all. Uh, they wanted to be financially recognized uh, for their work uh, over and above in, in, in professional development, executive education. The most important thing was that uh, they wanted to do work in the areas that they were passionate about, um, and they wanted the opportunities to be brought to them, that they were simply too busy to be helping prospects, so to speak. And it was really, uh, in some ways, as simple as us bringing them to the clients if the client's problems, challenges, and issues mirrored the ones that they were passionate about and doing research in. It sounds incredibly basic, but people weren't doing it. Uh, and that sort of was the, the, uh, the beginning of this value proposition of having our faculty involved very early. And not all our faculty, obviously. Um, but um, the ones that could really deliver the goods with, with clients and were passionate about it. Uh, and interestingly enough, I think that passion has been the, the piece that we, we most uh, underestimated. We, you know, we get caught up so much in the intellectual and research capacity of what we offer and the brilliance of our models and our frameworks and, our, and the consultants we bring in, in that, but we forget about if there isn't a basic passion for the business our clients are in, uh, then it doesn't work. Mm. And so again, it goes back to the listening. That I mean, it sounds like it really started with listening and rather than just trying to tell that influence starts from that standpoint of understanding what is important to your audience. And I think so in that I, I, I probably would have, you know, honestly, in, in when I first came into this role, I probably wanted, wanted to show the faculty that I was full of great ideas and I probably would have gone to the divisional chairs meetings to pitch them and my ideas of how we could grow faculty engagement. Hugh's advice was, why don't we ask them? Why don't we do this and ask them anonymously before we jump to any conclusions? And, and so that was step one. And then step two was, was actually being prepared, despite what we thought might have been the right ways to go about it, uh, to act on what they mm -hmm. told us. Um, yeah. Well, I know it's, it's led to your success. I've, you know, having personally worked with some of your professors like Dan Skarlicki, I, I can see the passion that comes through there and the engagement. So, yeah, kudos to you for the, the personal evolution and, uh, and growth. Um, Dan's a gr great example. Um, you know, one of our most successful programs is uh, with the Vancouver Coastal Health Authority. We call it the Physicians Leadership Program. It's a very non-traditional leadership program, and then it works with a constituency in terms of medical professionals who um, have achieved, you know, a level of excellence within their profession. In many cases, in, in functional roles, albeit them very senior roles, but they're, they're thrust into leadership management roles, and sometimes at very senior points in their career. And Dan has worked to, to uh, develop a program that deals with the very nuanced leadership aspects of that. But he worked from the, the earliest stage in consultation with a team of people from Vancouver Coastal Health. And he's brought in, uh, as you referenced, um, consultants and private practitioners who address aspects of that leadership solution that quite frankly the business school is not great at or the best at. You know, business schools are terrific generalists and for many academic degrees and programs, that's a great value proposition. You know, we have a marketing group and a finance group and a strategy group. And, but sometimes, uh, and I would argue increasingly, there are topics that are core to leadership now that are not in the traditional uh, sweet spot of a business school. And I think our ability to bring consultants and other partners together and integrate them into the offering uh, is something that clients really appreciate as opposed to simply sticking to what we're good at and letting the clients pursue those solutions, uh, you know, uh, elsewhere. So you, when you got when you have someone like Dan, it makes things so easy. I mean, he brings the passion, 
he buys into the vision. You have that upfront consultation. But anyone who's led change knows that, you know, organizations are not all dance, <laughs> right? That inevitably, you have someone who, for whatever reason, is not interested in coming along with a new vision or embracing the new process. Uh, and, and every organization faces this. And every leader who wants to lead change and realize a new vision faces this. When you have run into people like this, uh, either through either in the faculty or in admin, what's, what strategies do you pursue uh, and what lessons have you t- drawn from your you know, work in leading this transformation? Well, that's, that's a, a really uh, interesting question. That faculty uh, is, a, is a very unique constituency that they're, they're very different than, than say, uh, the staff uh, within an institution, a university. However, I think there's a commonality in terms of the approach. Um, faculty, um, in many cases, are there for their core teaching and research um, duties. And, you know, they don't have to do exec ed. Exec ed uh, is, is really something that is at their uh, discretion. And so I think the key is, is to uh, put the resources and effort into those whose heart uh, is behind it. And I think there's a parallel there within our own staff. I think especially in an institution environment, uh, uh, arguably, where, where people, uh, you know, uh, have a higher degree of job security, perhaps don't have as many deliverables. Uh, you bring a, a bit more of an attitude towards, like, if you're not loving it, if it's not something that you really look forward to, to doing when you get up in the morning, then we need to find a way to um, either make it that way or, um, or, or make a change. And I think my private sector background has allowed me to to bring more of that to an institution where typically people stay in roles much longer there isn't the flow through uh it's more of a job than it is a passion or a career i mean that's a bit stereotypical but there is aspects of that so whether it's the faculty or the staff side in exec ed we're running a business it's extremely competitive our clients have multitudes of choices and we have to make sure that um that we want to be doing this for the right reasons and we're excited. And if we're not, we have to have the courage um, to help those people uh, leave. Yeah, and I think that your point that you can't inspire everyone. Exactly. It, you um, have to be realistic and put your energy and passion into those who are open to, to sharing the same. Right. So, Trying to change someone's uh, core leadership direction or the direction of a of an organization requires a tremendous amount of dedication and passion, and mm-hmm. many jobs do. Don't get me wrong, but it, but it's not a nine to five job. Yeah. Uh, it's it's anything but. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, once, once you have those people, I mean, and I know it's it's the job is never done, but you you're building this group of committed, passionate people, and then you're going out into the marketplace. What lessons have you drawn from trying to communicate this new mindset? to clients who, you know, Sather's been around for a long time, who may be more used to a, a different type of uh, learning and, and who really need to almost be educated or challenged to see that you're open to new modalities of learning and open to developing new leadership skills. Well, I've seen a couple of pretty profound things in that regard. Um, one is I think that um, in you know, in some aspects, we uh, we fall victim to being experts to the point of we know better than the client what they need, and that is that is absolute death. 
Um, and that really is living up to the stereotype of, of, of institutional education. So we have to be extremely careful that we're not jumping to conclusions about, oh, you know what, I think you could benefit greatly from a two-day program on this or a module on this, and we have the best person in this area, and, and jumping to that. Uh, again, it comes back to listening, being consultative, really building a custom solution for clients. Uh, and if and if you and if you ask the clients today will tell you I mean they are not shy and they will tell you listen it really has to be customized uh, to our business to our unique culture it can't be about what you like to teach it has to be about what we like to learn what we need to learn you have to embed coaching in what what you're doing so you get more traction you've got to embrace the technology to maximize the use of people's time because time is more important than money. You have to come up with individual assessments of learning that recognize that people within the executive classroom are different. And, and if you're teaching them all the same thing, you could be missing the boat. And you have to really help us measure impact and ROI, not just give it lip service, but help us understand how we create behavioral change so that six months later, we can actually point to something that's changed. So if you listen and you open up to the clients, they will tell you these things. Uh, and at that point, the path is pretty clear. If, if you're not providing uh, that, that change in the, how you're approaching learning, they have a multitude of choices and they will pursue them at your expense. Well, and it is very, as you said, it's, it's really parallel to the approach you're taking within the institution. You're, you know, you're going out there, you know, putting aside the instinct to just provide and tell answers. Uh, and instead, you're, you're open to listening you're open to the possibilities that they want that may not be the ones that they want or that you went in thinking they'd want. And you're really finding what they're passionate about and connecting to that. So it's, it's very much parallel as I, as I hear you talk to what you're doing to lead change within Sother. I think so. I think a lot of institutions like ours struggle a bit with the, the dichotomy of, of being a research institution, which, you know, the, the, the misconception may be that that's pursued in the hallowed halls and the ivory towers versus being a, you know, an institution that's very externally engaged and doing work in the business community. We, we found actually that because of that thought process uh, and that you know, inquisitive and curious uh, nature that our, that, our, uh, that our research faculty um, you know, bring that um, when they're in front of clients. And for us, it's been, it's been phenomenally successful. So, I mean, if you had to sum up to anyone listening who wanted to lead change, wanted to create a following either inside the organization or with, with customers or in the community, what would be you know, the big takeaways that, from your own experience that you'd share with them? Well, I think first and foremost, it would be to um, you know, listen to the people closest to the, to the customer. Again, I know, that, I know that sounds straightforward, but you, um, you have to do that. And how do you prove to yourself that you're really doing that? From time to time, be prepared to do what they think is the right course of action, even if it's directly opposed to your own. Uh, I think that's absolutely critical. Uh, I, I, I do see my fair share of leaders and managers who have superficially a great process for what seems like um, listening, consensus, decision-making, more of a collaborative culture. Yet I see them implementing and instituting all the same policies and procedures uh, that the C-seat uh, would have had they not uh, incurred that input from the team. Uh, I think that's absolutely critical. And I think some of the, biz the, the biggest business opportunities in front of us are when the leader uh, is prepared to defer uh, to the team, who in many cases is closer uh, 
uh, to the client uh, in terms of what action is needed to, to capitalize on those. Um, and, and, you know, that's another aspect of what we're going through in, in the professional development world is um, the other great thing about the faculty is they're the ones that are actually in the classroom with the client. So they get tremendous feedback at multiple levels, many times at the dinners, in the, in the, on the breaks, uh, in the social times with the class. So they're getting um, frontline information from clients and clients will tell them what works and what doesn't work. And if we're developing programs within the institution based on what we think the client needs and what we're really good at teaching, we're totally missing the boat. And I think there are parallels and metaphors in a lot of other businesses that are creating products uh, and services that um, you know fit with the core of where that organization has been for decades, but they don't fit with where the market is going. And with the change that's happening now, organizations just cannot afford to rest on the historical laurels. And I think you're a great, you and Saw, they're a great example of. Well, in the pace of change, Bart, I think that's key. What, what killed us in the media business was not so much the change, because we talked about it, we had meetings, we had brainstorming sessions, we had people working with us. I think what we really failed to grasp was the pace of change. Um, so it's one thing to, to understand the change, it's another to be completely off guard by the pace. And I think that's a really key que- question in front of us right now in learning development leadership is we know we're in the middle of it, but I think what we're unclear here is how fast the train is, uh, is going. Um, and I think that's, that's something that remains to be seen, but arguably the pace of change here is accelerating. So as, as people prepare for the future, I know they can turn to Sother and your exec ed programs. Where can they go to get more information about you know, who you are and what you offer? Well, um, like so many of, uh, of us these days, we have uh, um, developed a much uh, stronger web presence uh, and we're driving a lot of individuals to the web for, for basic information. So if you go to uh, uh, solder.ubc.ca uh, and you go to executive education, uh, there's uh, a wealth of information on what we do, both for individuals and organizations. Uh, but we also have a large team of, of business development and client engagement specialists who will uh, work directly with clients in, in, a, in a consultation, either individually or organizationally. They'll come to their office, uh, meet with them in person. Uh, so if you reach out to our exec ed operation through, uh, through the web or, or, or directly, uh, we're happy to interact in a very personal nature. Uh, again, we have to provide the full scope for learners in the way that they're comfortable. But we are a very interactive, customer-focused operation. Well, and having partnered with you for nearly a decade, I can attest to that myself. So, no, look, Bruce, I really appreciate you coming on the Inspire podcast today. You know, I'm I'm walking away with more appreciation for how you're changing, uh, how you do leadership development, and how you personally have, uh, you know, really uh, looked inward to say, how can I evolve my leadership style and become, you know, just as you flip the classroom, flip the leadership style towards this uh, listening focus, serving others, and uh, finding the needs that that others have to be at the forefront of, of what you do. So thank you so much for uh, for sharing with us today. Yeah, no, my great pleasure. And it's been a pleasure to work with you as well. And I think it's a great example of when um, educational institutions and, and consultancies can come together and, and private enterprise uh, client client benefits. So it's just a great, great time right now for, for opportunity uh, for clients and providers uh, 
to partner uh, in a way that they've uh, they've never done before. Thank you so much. Have a good Thanks day. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Bruce Wiesner. He's been a, a great partner, and uh, it's our privilege to uh, to work with Sother. If you are in Vancouver, I highly encourage you to take a look at their outstanding list of open enrollment programs. Uh, if you're not in Vancouver, well, that begs the question, why not? Having lived there for five years, I highly recommend it for anyone who's looking for a personal or professional getaway. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week with an interview uh, with the CIO of Loblaws, David Markwell, who will talk about what it takes to get a project uh, from start to finish through communication. Talk to you then.